I'm Travis Daly, and you're listening to Fishing with a Fly, where I interview experts in the fly fishing industry. Henry Cowan joins us in this episode to talk about fly fishing for carp. Henry is a fly fishing guide out of Georgia and spends most of his winters chasing stripers on Lake Lanier and his summers in search of carp. Let's go ahead and jump. Hey, Henry. Thanks for sitting down with us today. Um, before we start, just tell us a little backstory about yourself, why you started or when and why you started fly fishing and what led to you opening up your, uh, your own guide service and shop? Well, I, um, I started, uh, I started fishing back when I was a little kid. My dad was a big fisherman. So he started me out fishing as a youngster growing up in New York city. And I mean, literally in New York city in Brooklyn, New York. And believe it or not, as you know, Manhattan is an island. There's a lot of great salt water around New York. So that's where I cut my teeth fishing. And uh, I wasn't a fly fisherman. My dad actually fly fished uh, quite a bit for bass um, up in, uh, in, in an area called White Lake, New York. So I used to watch him fly fish. I was a conventional kid <laughs> until probably, uh, uh, probably around 1990. We, my wife and I moved up to Stamford, Connecticut back in the late 80s. And I came down. Uh, I was striper fishing in Long Island Sound in Connecticut and saw these three young guys walk up on the beach next to me while I was throwing a spinning rod and a bucktail. And these three young guys were fly fishing. And the next thing you know, all of us, all four of us were hooked into fish. And that was the epiphany. That's when I, the light bulb went off. And I just said, this is something I've got to try. It looks like just way more fun than what I'm doing. And so that that was kind of how the uh, the addiction started was probably back around 1990. Got a fly rod and started trying to cast for stripers on my own. Tried to self-taught myself how to how to cast, and one thing led to another. And I guess I was pretty good at finding fish up in Connecticut, and uh, started to build a reputation. And then back in 1997, um, <clears throat> my job took me to Atlanta, Georgia, and. I was by then I was already, you know, fully engulfed in the fly fishing game. And when I got down here, I started to learn about how to catch these landlocked stripers uh, down here in Lake Lanier in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, I found that they could be caught just like the ones up on the salt that I had fished from basically, you know, Maine down through New Jersey all my life. Uh, I realized that those fish could be caught the same way down here, but really nobody was doing it. And after a couple of years of, uh, of fly fishing down here by around 1999, 2000, um, after having lived down here for a couple of years, uh, a, one of the, the, the largest fly fishing shop in Atlanta, the Fishhawk, had asked me to take some of their, uh, some of their clients uh, and take them guiding for striped bass. And I, the, the owner, Gary Merriman, had said, hey, would you take a few of my clients out? And I had absolutely zero interest in guiding. And he had asked me several times over the course of the next two, three months. And finally I caved and said, fine, I'll take a half a dozen of your best customers out. And then the next year it went to 10 and then the next year 15. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, Travis, I'm guiding. That is awesome. So it's kind of grew organically. <laughs> it it kind of did. You know, I, I, to this day, I don't advertise, to be honest with you. It's all word of mouth. I'm as busy as I want to be. I still have a full-time job. I mean, I'm not a full-time guide. Mm -hmm. Though I do get out on the water probably 150 to 200 days a year, um, just because my 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 real time job that that feeds the family um, allows me to work out of my basement most of the time when I'm not on the road. 
So it'll, it affords me the opportunity to get out and fish a whole lot. That's awesome. That is awesome. Perfect. So let's go, let's dig a little deeper into one of the fish that you're currently guiding for carp. Carp's kind of, they shot up in popularity with fly fishermen in the recent years. Everyone's kind of trying to do it. Um, can you explain the basic setup for a fly fishing for carp, like the rod, reel, line, like what you need to, to use for carp? Yeah. So, so, you know, carp, carp are a very interesting fish. They're, 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 they're not easy, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they're tough, but but that's what makes them so interesting to people. That's why people, I think, really like carp, is because they're so challenging, if you will. Yeah, I agree. Carp, you know, fishing for carp, I explain to people, it's like going red fishing or or bone fishing, except that you're throwing to a permit. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's really the best way to you know they don't eat like a like a redfish, and they absolutely don't eat like a bonefish. Mm-hmm. They are more likened to a permit. But so the carp basic carp setup can be anywhere from, you know, a six to eight weight would be an ideal outfit. I personally like sevens and eights for my fishery. Now, my uh, the reason I say my fishery and, and Travis, I don't know why this is, but where where I'm fishing down on the Chattahoochee River off the Oxbow Lakes of the of the Chattahoochee, our average fish is anywhere from 10 to 12 pounds. They are cookie cutter fish. Yeah. And I am telling you that I have shots at fish in that 14 to 18 pound class way more often than I have shots at fish seven to 10 pounds. I don't even see fish that are four to six pounds. I don't know where they are. I just, I've in seven years of fishing down here, I've never seen them. Now there are plenty of fisheries that I speak to other anglers and other guides uh, across the country that are just low, like right across from us, not far, you know, just across, you know, just down the road. Um, I'm fishing the, the, Chattahoochee fishery, but those coming out of the Savannah River just below uh, Lake Hartwell, there are some oxbows and flats that you can fish on on those rivers for the common carp, and their average fish is four to six pounds. Now, that doesn't mean they can't catch or see 10 and 12 and 15 pound fish, but their average cookie cutter fish is four to six pounds. And a, and a, you know, a six weight rod is absolutely perfect for that, for that fish. But my fish, they're averaging 10 to 12 pounds. So when you hook up a six pound I mean, a six weight um, rod is a little much. You just can't get that fish under control with a six weight as well as you can with a seven or an eight. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I prefer a seven or eight weight rod. I also prefer um, a reel with a good drag system, something that can hold 100 to 150 yards of backing, something with a smooth drag. Um, not that you couldn't fish a click in paw, you know, a spring in paw. You certainly could fish a clicker reel, but I think you're better off with having something with drag. Um, I also happen to like a rod that's a little bit faster in action, not too fast, not like your typical saltwater rod, but something that that's fast enough that if you upline it, it'll allow you to load the rod quickly. And the reason I like that is because many times you have to make a quick cast because all of a sudden these fish appear like ghosts. You were looking, you have some glare in the water and the next thing you know, the sun is just right and boom, there's a fish 30 feet in front of you you know, or 30 feet at 11 o'clock and you got to quickly make that cast because the fish is coming at you. Mm-hmm. So you want a rod that allows you to, and a line and an outfit that allows you to load that rod and so to speak, fish with an urgency, a sense of urgency. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So consequentially, my, my seven weight rods are loaded with eight weight lines and my eight weight rods are loaded with nine weight uh, lines. Oh. And, you know, so that, that's my basic setup. So, um, you know, my, my, I, 
there's a, and, and there's no specific brand that I think is a quote unquote carp rod. I mean, yeah. I, there's a lot of rods I like out there. I think, um, you know, I, I happen to my personal favorite rods are, I happen to like the Orvis Helios seven weight. I also happen to like the TFO BVK seven mm. weight. Um, those are two of some of my favorite rods. I, I, um, I, I haven't personally fished it, but I fished the eight weight Meridian, not for carp, but I think that would be the Scott Meridian. I think's a mm-hmm. great rod. And, and, you know, you can easily get away with any of the Sage, you know, the Sage one would be an excellent choice. Okay. For carp. Um, again, as long as you're uplining those rods, um, you'll, you'll be able to make those quick casts. And, uh, for me, my line of choice without a doubt is a real redfish line. Okay. I just think that's the best line on the market for carp fishing. Awesome. And as it's pure floating, do you do do you try any intermediate yep. or no, okay, no, all floating? I, pure floating, a, a, a floating Rio redfish, which comes in a light blue color, Perfect. is just an absolutely fantastic taper, um, and handles the uh, you know the 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 little bit colder water that you can get in some of the rivers as well as the warm water because it's a redfish line. Mm-hmm. I just love the, the the way that line is designed. Um, I, that is my go-to line, believe it or not, for carp, for uh, for redfish, for bonefish. I just think it's a wonderful line. Awesome. That's awesome. What are most of your hookups within, like, how long of the cast you typically make to a fish? Or is it all you know, open? that's a good question. You know, we will spot typically spot these fish many times, 50, 60, even sometimes 70 feet out. Oh, wow. um, but it's so hard to get a customer to, to cast accurately mm-hmm. above 50 feet. So I like to tell them to let me get them into 40 feet or even 30 feet to make that accurate cast. But a lot of guys just, you know, they see that fish in eight <laughs> inches of water, you know, 50 feet away and they start bombing those casts. Yeah. They got to give it a try. They book them and sometimes <laughs> they don't, you yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's very true. But I, but I think the sweet spot is that 30 to 40 foot cast. Okay. Where you just really nail it and spot but, on. Makes sense. But Travis, I have to tell you, I can't tell you how many times I've hooked fish 10 feet in front of the boat. No, really? <laughs> wow. So when you're fishing for these carp, what, what fly patterns are you typically using? Is it just a redfish or a, a bonefish pattern? Or do you have your own carp patterns? No, no. I mean, you know, there's a lot of real, you know, I'm not as pattern driven as I am color driven. Okay. To okay. Carp flies. So, you know, for me, it's the way I choose a carp fly is twofold. Um, as far as color goes, I like dark colors. So, um, blacks, browns, olives, and rusts. And if you really wanted me to narrow that down, blacks and rusts are probably my two favorite colors followed by brown, followed by olive, um, for our waters that are tannic. Now I know some of the guys out West fishing, you know, Montana, Colorado, Idaho for carp, you know, they, they, a lot of them like the, um, they go after more of an olivey color at sometimes, um, you know, one of the hot, you know, so I'm not really pattern driven as much as I am color driven carp love silly legs on flies. So anything, sometimes you can put some silly legs can be very, very helpful. So it'll give that, that, you know, crayfish pattern look to it. Um, and it can be very, very helpful. Believe it or not, one of my favorite flies is just a regular gold bead black woolly booger. Yeah, really. Just maybe in a little bit smaller for me, like a size a size eight or even a, a size ten works nicely. Okay. Um, and then there are times where 
we're getting refusal after refusal. And I got to throw something like, and, and pardon me for saying this, but a pink glow bug, just a weighted, <laughs> glow bug, you know, an egg pattern will work. Yeah. And, and carp really like pink. Um, I don't know why, but they do. They like orange. They like pink. Um, their brighter colors can stand out to them. Guys over across the pond in Europe are very, very big proponents of using, you know, super bright colors. And I've caught them here. Um, you know, one of the hot new patterns on the, on the carp scene the last uh, two years has been that fly called the hybrid, mm -hmm. which is sort of like a mix between a, a, a nymph of some sort and a San Juan worm. It's got a little bit of a, uh, you know, vermeil, uh, uh, vermeil red, you know, piece coming off the back end of it. So it's got sort of a an aquatic insect, sort of like a worm-like look. It's sort of a hybrid of the two. So that's been a hot pattern lately. And then, you know, I have a, a fly that I designed that's, it's not, we just call it a carp booty. And basically, uh, Travis, what it is, is a, um, it's, it's a, a tungsten bead that we put on a 60 degree bend jig hook on a size 10, 60 degree, uh, 60 degree bend jig hook. And then I just tie a woolly booger, but instead of using um, uh, instead of using uh, uh, marabou on the back end, I use rabbit. Um, I just like the way I can make it shorter and smaller. My my yeah. fish tend to go for smaller flies, so rather than use the uh, the marabou, I take I cut the rabbit off the hide and tie on just a, a regular black or just a a rust colored woolly booger tied on a sixty degree bend jig hook. And I push that tungsten bead all the way up onto the bend of, wow. the, of, the, of the jig hook. And what that does is when that fly hits the water and sinks to the bottom, the ass end of the fly sticks up. It just goes immediately. It stands on its head because that, that tungsten bead makes the fly ride up on an angle. Yeah. It's brilliant. So you notice like the carp really go after that attraction, that little waving in the water. Oh, there's no question that, that, that will attract them. You know, it's funny carp, you have to tease them. They don't yeah. eat so well. You really have to quote unquote feed the fish. Yeah. And yeah. you know, so it's all a matter of, um, getting into that zone, if you will, of what makes, what gets the carp to follow and eat the fly. We get, you know, we get, can't tell you how many times we're fishing. We get a perfect cast on the, on the fish 35 feet away and the fish follows us 15, 20 feet and then sees the boat and turns off and the angler just could not feed the fish. Yeah. It's a matter of slow strips followed by a, a little pause and pulling it very slowly, like two inch strips, like a crab, like you'd you know, crawl a crab on a, mm -hmm. on a permit flat. Yeah. And you really got to tease that fish and make them want to eat. And, and that's, that's what carp fishing, at least in our part of the country is all about. And, you know, I spoke to guys out on the West coast, like uh, Dan Blanton, uh, who was just fishing the Columbia River? The Columbia River up there um, in Oregon, they do a lot of uh, uh, what they call drop and drag kind of techniques, where they cast past the carp and let the fly drop and drag it into its feeding zone, and then immediately just lift when they get the fly into the carp zone. And fish is either there or he's not there. Um, you know, we can do that some when they're mudding and bubbling, but. Uh, for the most part, we, we need a perfect cast on top of the fish rather than that drag or drop. The drag and drop is really, well, I should say the drop and drag is really good when the carp is tailing or, or mudding and bubbling. But when that fish is crawling on the bottom, you know, that, uh, that drag and, you know, that, that drop and drag isn't going to work. You, yeah. You've got, 
you've got to put that fly and look at your angles and make sure you get it right on top of his nose or what we call throwing it on the pie plate. Yeah. <laughs> Do you notice if most of the takes are taken on that pause or if it, when the fly is still moving or does it kind of vary with the fish? You know, it varies fish to fish, okay. but I think a lot of times when you, when you're stripping that fly in with those small one and two inch strips and that thing keeps moving, you'll see the fish following it. You'll mm-hmm. absolutely see the fish following it. And if you, you know, strip, 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 and then stop, wait two seconds, strip, strip, you'll see him kick his tail and flare his gills and suck the fly. <laughs> That's awesome. So do you have a hard time with your clients is kind of teaching that mentality of the strip strike rather than raising your, your uh, rod tip up? As like what you, you know, do with trout fishing, or is it kind of? You know, I'm actually a believer in the in the in the in the trouting. Oh really? I, I, when you're carp fishing, I like the I like when you trout set. Oh okay. Believe it or not, the strip strike works great. The problem is, many times when those you know my fish are educated. My my fish, just so you know, I'm telling you that my fish, even though they're in the Chattahoochee River here in in Georgia. I'm telling you, my fish went to Stanford University, right? <laughs> These are the, some of the most educated carp in the world. And so um, where a strip strike can be very effective, obviously, um, or a combination thereof, strip striking and trouting as we will. That's usually what I do. You know, it has to be a quick set and not a hard set. You know, most most of my anglers that carp fish are, are saltwater guys. Mm-hmm. So they're used to giving a good pop and but most of my anglers are not used to fishing eight and 10 pound tippet. You know, they're used yeah. to fishing 12 and 15 and 20 and whatnot. And so, you know, you gotta be really gentle with these fish. Mm-hmm. Crowding them is not a bad thing. It, you know, that, that hook, if that, if that hook finds anywhere near around that carp's mouth, it's so rubbery and soft. Yes. You know, even trouting, it's going to find its way in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. You might be the first person I've ever heard say that. Most everybody is just pressuring that that strip strike rather than sitting like a trout. So that's cool. It's cool to see it both ways. Yeah, I, I, I do it to what I do is actually a combination. Me personally, I like to strip and lift the rod up at the same time. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It's not a hard. It's not a hard strip strike. If I, you know, I get. I can't tell you how many of my anglers would strip strike and pop the leader. Mm, yeah. You know, pop the fly off the leader just because they set too hard. You just basically come in tight and then, you know, these the are not little fish. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely doesn't sound like it. Awesome. So what if someone wanted to go out, maybe not in Georgia, maybe just somewhere in their lake or their, uh, their city and they want to go find carp on their own. Do you have any suggestions on how to do it on their own? If they didn't want to like hire a guy to take them out, they wanted to just do it all on their own, collect their gear and then find that carp. What would you suggest they first do? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of ways to do it. You know, the best thing is, you know, the one thing that the the beauty of fly fishing today, as well as the curse of fly fishing today is the internet. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, the nice thing is there's more information available to everybody because of the internet. And what I, the first thing I would suggest is get on one of these, log on to a board or a chat room or whatnot with other fly anglers, tell them how you want to start carp fishing. And, um, you know, Start PMing one another. Nobody's going to want to put their favorite carp spot on the internet and tell people, oh, go <laughs> over here. But if you tell somebody, hey, you know, I'm looking to start carp fishing and I live in, you know, wherever it is, Sioux City, Iowa. And, you know, where would be a good, some good places to start? Um, please PM me to get me, you know, get me in the right direction. Much appreciated. 
I think then you're not, you're not, you're not exposing spots to everybody. Mm-hmm. Somebody wants to be nice enough. There's usually uh, always a few anglers out there. They're going to be willing to share and say, Hey, I'm not going to put an X, but you know, here are some drainage ditches. Here are some, you know, oxbow lakes. Here are some rivers with, with some, uh, softer currents that you can find them. Here are some ponds, uh, you know, that may have grass carp in them versus the commons. So, you know, it's all a matter of, where you're living and, and what areas are available. Shoot. I mean, if you lived in New York City, you could start by, you know, you could start in Central Park and there's carp in Central Park. That would be the first place to look. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, that that's one thing to do. The next thing to do is, um, you know, go out there without the rod one day and bring your polarized lenses. You know, you got to have a pair of, of, uh, of polarized glasses and go out there in the middle of the day with the sun high. Uh, where you can see best and walk around and look around a little bit and see what you can see. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, that would be the first place to look, you know, of course there are going to be grass carp in a lot of ponds. And if you have permission or there's some, you know, public ponds that you can go into, you can certainly always find some grass carp in those ponds. I will tell you grass carp are the dickens to get to eat. They are much harder to get to eat than a, than a common carp. Um, the common carp are carnivores, the grass carp are not. Yeah. So, so I always think if you're going to start carp fishing, um, I always think the best eaters are always in the river systems. Or if you're going to fish a lake, if it's got a tailwater attached to it, where there is a river system attached to the lake, fish up in the headwaters of, of, of the lake where the river system is about to dump into the lake. Those are the places where you're going to find the carp feeding the best. Okay. Awesome. And you mentioned grass carp. Do you have any suggestions on how to catch those grass carp? Because I've had some difficulties actually trying to hook up with uh, them like significantly. Well, let me ask you this, Travis, not to get too personal with you. Are you a, uh, are you a religious sort of fellow? I'm not, no. <laughs> okay. Well, that's probably one of the reasons why you haven't caught a grass carp. <laughs> you have got to go to church at least 10 times a year <laughs> if you expect to be able to hook and catch a grass carp. Yeah, you, you have got to have the almighty on your side to catch those <laughs> things. Um, but but truthfully, um, you know, it's light leaders. It's stalking these fish and throwing really small flies um, right in front of their faces like, um, you know, little yellow woolly worms is a good grass carp fly. Um, an, a little uh, sort of uh, chartreuse kinds of greens. Not a bright chartreuse, but maybe just like a, a yellow chartreuse kind of green uh, in an RLD. A rubber-legged dragon is a really good grass carp fly. You know, it's got to look like something that would be hanging on the grass or in the grass. That kind of, you know, algae kind of looking okay. looking thing. I, I'll tell you, one of the great carp stories I've ever heard was from a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, Lefty Cray, told me this story. He was fishing... Uh, he went carp fishing down in Florida and he was fishing with a, uh, with a guide who was not guiding him on, on boat, but rather by foot. And I, I'll leave the guide's name nameless because he's still around and he still goes, uh, takes people fishing by on land. He's, he's known as a land captain down in Florida. And these carp that he took them to happened to be feeding on some sort of a berry or that would come off of a tree. And they really couldn't get the carp to feed that day. So Lefty had his fly rod with him. And the land captain came over to him and said, look, you stand over here and get ready to throw that 
that egg type pattern that he had colored up like a berry. And the guy took a spinning rod with a, with a, like a, a lead sinker on the end of it, cast it up into the tree. And when the sinker hit the tree, the monofilament wrapped around the branch about five times. And he started giving a yank with that spinning rod and started shaking the tree so that the berries dropped and the carp came from everywhere. <laughs> and he's yelling, now lefty, cast now, now. And so he kind of chummed the waters for him. And uh, I thought that was just a great story <laughs> how they, they, they used the berries from the tree to, to imitate a, uh, quote unquote, an artificial hatch, if you will. Yeah, that is hilarious. <laughs> it's a great story. <laughs> so when you do most of your fishing, is it mostly sight fishing or do you do some blind casting as in just like throwing it into a channel or is your blind casting just throw into like mud, mud holes? Yeah, I don't blind cast at all. Okay. We do zero. Okay. Travis, we do zero blind casting. For me, carp fishing, you throw, it's all sight casting. Uh -huh. We don't throw at anything we don't see. It's just that, what we're looking for, there's a number of things that we're looking for that we can throw at, whether we're seeing the fish or not. Obviously, it's always best when you can see the fish, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes you don't see the target. Sometimes you're in a little too much, you're in a little too deep of water. You know, like you can see the fish clearly when they're in eight, 10 inches of water, six inches of water. Sometimes we're in 18 inches of water and the water's a little tannic. So you can't see that fish. But what you do see is the bubbles coming up from the fish rooting in the ground. And, and when he's rooting underwater, uh, you know, like a bonefish would or like a redfish would, trying to suck in, you know, whatever aquatic insects or crayfish or whatnot are down there. When he's rooting with his mouth in the ground, he's going to strum up sort of methane gas that's going to come up and make bubbles on the surface. And when you see that bubbling coming up along with a little red stain around it. That is a carp rooting in the bottom. That's when you can do what we call that drop and drag technique, where you can throw past the bubbles in line and past the bubbles. Let that fly sink and drag the fly right into the fish's um, feeding zone. So that's one way that we can. Uh, it is blind casting, but we know there's a fish feeding there right, because yeah. of him rooting in the bottom. So, so that's one of the ways, that's what we call mutters and bubblers. And we, we, we constantly look for those, especially in deeper water. We also look for tailing fish where you actually see the tail out of the water because fish is in six inches of water. You know, it's an 18 or 22 or 24 inch long fish and is, there's not enough water for him not to be sticking his butt up out of the surface so you can see him tailing. So we throw at those. We also see fish that are tailing underwater. We might be in 12 inches of water and you see a fish whose nose is stuck in the mud and you see him wagging his tail just three inches under the surface. So we throw at those too. Those are two kinds of tailors, the ones that are above and the ones that are below the, the water column. Mm -hmm. Then we also throw at fish that we call crawlers. Those are fish that we actually see moving um, in really shallow water looking to eat. Um, they're already on the bottom. And they're just moving from point A to point B. And we call those crawlers. We absolutely throw at those fish. And having, you know, throwing at, the, at a correct angle is the key to hooking up with those fish. And then finally, the last set of fish that we try not to throw to unless we have to are what we call the cruisers. Mm -hmm. And cruisers are fish that are floating up high on the surface. Those are fish that are just moving from point A to point B before they sink and feed again. Those are really hard fish to feed. Um, and, and we try not to throw at them and that's, unless that's all we have to throw at, but I'd prefer not to throw at a cruiser 
I mean, I've caught them, but if I tell you, Travis, I've probably caught, oh gosh, I'm going to say I've taught, I've caught a total of a half a dozen cruisers in seven years. Oh wow. So okay. Those are not very good odds. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely doesn't sound like it. Well, uh, Henry, it's been a blast. Thanks again for taking the time to speak with us. Um, before we go ahead and sign off, where can everybody find you? Like, give a plug to your uh, website, or where, where should everybody look up, look you up? Well, if they want to get a hold of me, they can um, they can uh, give us a call at six seven eight five one three nineteen thirty four, or they can go to our website, which is www.henrycowen c o w e n flyfishing dot com, and they can look through the website and see all the stuff we're we're doing down here. Awesome. And I'll go ahead and include all that on the show notes. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check out the show notes at fishingwithafly.com forward slash podcast for all the links, products, and tips. Also, if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes.